MPH Sports Podcast. Talk sport and property with sports people discussing their careers and how property played a part in it. Chris Robshaw, welcome to Talk Sport and Property. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Lee, yourself? Very good, thank you. Thank you for finishing off our second series on the pod and also agreeing to become one of our MK Sports Ambassadors. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good, thanks. Um, I've been splitting my time at the moment between America and here. I've been uh, playing here in San Diego. Um, myself and my wife, Camilla, have just had a little baby, kind of almost seven months now. So, little son, I've been enjoying a lot of downtime with him, which has been great. Uh, and now, yeah, gearing up for Christmas and, yeah, just looking forward to a bit of family time. You know what? I've never actually, probably since I've left school, enjoyed a proper Christmas because you always train on Christmas Eve, Boxing Day, actually playing Boxing Day the day after. Um, so this year, I'm very much looking forward to it and, and probably kind of passing out in my mum's chair or something or eating too many chocolates and having a bit of sweat. Their joggers on early and all that kind of stuff. So, no, looking forward to a yeah, good family Christmas. Good. It sounds sounds like fun. And um, and how is parenthood? Um, it's not easy, is it? <laughs> it's not. No. Um, obviously, a bit a bit harder for the mums, I imagine. Uh, but it's look, it's been great. Um, and I think that now he's getting to the stage where he's starting to interact a bit, which is great. I think initially it's, it's tough when they just want to sleep and eat and, and food, don't they? It's, um, but look, he's starting to sleep now. He's starting to sit up. He smiles at you, which is great. You can go out for the day and come home and he smiles. And, and it's great. And look, we're in a fortunate position where I can spend a lot of time with him. Uh, whereas, yeah, one of us isn't off doing a nine to five and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very fortunate that we're going to spend a lot of time with him, especially when he's changing so much. So, I no, really enjoy that at the moment. And, yeah, making the most of it. And any plans for any more? Yeah, well, that's why everyone always asks. It's like, we only, we've only just had the first one. <laughs> uh, look, we, we don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. And, um, not yet, that's for sure. <laughs> Good. Well, look, um, thank you for coming on and closing out Series 2. Um, you may or may not know how Talksport and Property works, but just to remind you, we're going to talk about your career. I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions, and then we're going to fire into my favourite subject, which is uh, property. So let's crack on with the... The pod. Um, Chris, 35 years of age, born in Redhill in Surrey, a two-time Aviva Premiership Player of the Year winner, another talented product with the Harlequins Academy, going on to experience an unbelievable 300 senior appearances for Quins, 290 of those in a starting position, and an incredible 22,500 minutes on the pitch in a Quins shirt. So how does that make you feel when I sort of call out them stats mate I mean you must be enormously proud old to be honest mate that's uh, <laughs> been around a long time um, <laughs> I mean I didn't realise that about the starting uh, I always knew I started a lot more than fully bench but yeah that's quite understanding so uh, look honoured yeah look, it was a club I supported as a kid I was like I said Red Hill born Surrey based um, Quinns was always my rugby team so to go on and, and play for them captain them win stuff for them it was always an incredible honour and to win whether team things or individual things, it's, it's always special. But look, I'm, I'm still in touch with the guys. We had a, we actually had an old boys get together uh, last Saturday night. So we, um, about 12 of us met up, we went and watched the Quinns game. Um, and then we all went to one of those, those dart places in London, played some dart. Oh, Flight Club. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, Flight Club. 
Uh, and it was great fun. Again, you're all kind of reminiscing, just calling each other the, the stupid nicknames you called each other back then. Uh, you're laughing about a story that happened 15 years ago, but that's what makes sports so great. But you have those bonds, good, good and the bad times, and yeah, you still enjoy each other's company because look, people get busy, people move on, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm playing the other side of the world. Um, but we always try to get together for Christmas Eve. Um, and yeah, have a good laugh. Amazing. Chris, when did you start playing rugby? Let's take it all the way back. How did it all begin for you? Um, I, no, I've been playing rugby since as long as I can remember. I, uh, I was very dyslexic as a kid. I was, I was stubborn. I was dyslexic. Uh, the classroom wasn't really my friend. Uh, I was very sporty. And as I got a bit older, a bit bigger, probably fell into rugby a little bit more, a bit more suited to the game. Maybe not skillful enough to be a footballer or something. But yeah, like I said, as I got older, went through school, clubs, all that kind of stuff. I just And then got picked up by Harlequins when I was kind of 17, 18, which would mean I'd go in the holidays in the academy, go in the holidays, training camps, every time we wakes programs, all that kind of stuff to monitor me. Uh, and then went from there, really. You made your premiership debut in the 2007-2008 season. Chris, how were you feeling before that game and as a Queen fan? Was it the the day that you dreamt of? Yeah, well, my, my premiership debut, I actually, first day we were in, luckily, well, bad for the club, but we got relegated. So a lot of the, probably the bigger names moved on and we probably didn't have the budget to recruit. So as young guys, we were 19 or so, 19, 20. So it made us play a little bit more, uh, which was good. So we played, played a handful of times, a little bit more, which was great. Then the following year, I didn't play. Obviously, went back up. Went back up. Unfortunately, did my knee ligaments. But my Premiership debut was against London Irish at Twickenham Stadium. Just thinking, oh my god, this Premiership is Twickenham, changing the name and changing all that kind of stuff. It was incredible. Um, I assume in the family were in the in the stadium and fully behind. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. They, they've all come out. They've come and they've watched a fair amount of rugby. Um, <laughs> been to Steve and Twickenham numerous times. Our second home. Uh, both of them it's yellow yeah, it's, it's quite and even now I still get excited going because um, you see the smiles on faces you see how happy people are and a great venues to play in yeah it's one of them stadiums I still um, I still haven't been to I actually went to um, Quinn's recently as for my first ever rugby game um, enjoyed it much more than I thought of was actually ironically um, but the Twickenham is literally across the road isn't it yeah it's of course uh, the 316 like a dual carriageway pretty yeah. much I mean, whenever we play at Twickenham, we actually have all our meetings, have our food up the street, and then we get our bags on and we walk over. Oh, right. Um, and the times where we've had finals and stuff, the fans have actually lined the walkways with flags and themselves and all that kind of stuff. And, wow. And given kind of a guard of honour, which has been incredible. Remarkably, it, it was just the following season, Chris, that you won your first Premiership Player of the Year award. I mean, Chris, you had, you had only been playing professional rugby for what less than two years at this point um what did that award mean to you and why do you think you were selected for this such a prestigious award you know i, I still ask myself to be honest um yeah, like, an incredible one to, to win like i said to win team stuff and individual stuff is is, is always a uh, nice um yeah like, like i said to, to win it twice was was extremely overwhelming and um, yeah I mean it just it's one of those ones where you kind of look back and at the time you probably don't realise it and you probably don't take 
you kind of think stuff like this just kind of always happens and not in a like a big headed way like you're a good player and all that kind of stuff but you probably get carried away and then you think actually okay now stuff like this isn't happening now hard you want those moments again and people always say if you go back and kind of enjoy the moment more and all that kind of stuff but don't get me wrong not he didn't enjoy it because you're working hard aren't you you're always working hard you're always thinking about something else at that time yes i was awarded this but my big thing was to get into the England setup. I was trying so hard to get in that and I wasn't quite making it. So there's always some another drive for you. And that's the thing in sport, you kind of have a, a short period to, to celebrate or acknowledge something. And I remember this, I think I think I was given the award on a it was midweek do. And then I think we, we had a semi final on the weekend and we lost. So then you have that incredible high and you kind of straight that straight back off it again. It's like, oh that's that's the end of the season and Look, team, look, individual, like I said, individual stuff's nice, but team stuff is where you play the game to, to win together. Talking about losing, was you a bad loser? Yeah, I was uh, for a long time. For a long time, I was a bad loser. It would hang over me, drag over me. I'd be in a grump for a long time. Um, and as I got older, I kind of said, look, okay, whatever. It, obviously, it depends on the results, games, and all that stuff. But when I was just playing club stuff, and I would take out, have until 12 o'clock that night. And then it's going to go on and otherwise it affects your family and all that kind of stuff. You, you mope around for days and it's not good for anyone. Um, yeah, definitely as I was younger and even until relatively recently in all honesty. Um, yeah, it was tough. Chris, you won the Premiership title in May 2012 at Twickenham against uh, Leicester Tigers in a 30-23 victory to make club history. Chris, I, I watched the interview. Um, I saw you lift the cup. Would you mind sharing with us what that moment and what that experience felt like for you personally and for the squad? Yeah, uh, look, it was amazing. It was something which we got off to a bit of a good start because it was, it was a World Cup year and there was a lot of players away from other sides. I think we, we set a record. I think we won our first 12 games or something or something crazy. Um, and we just kind of thought this, this thing would just keep on rolling. It was great and we were enjoying it. Uh, we had a good mix in the squad. We have a lot of youngs who were not quite an international reckoning, like myself, Lanikare, Marlers, uh, and guys. And then uh, we had some core cool guys, experienced guys who were serious internationals, and Evans, Easters, Memphis, Blues, all that. Uh, and we, had, we just had a good squad. We had a good culture, all that stuff. Um, and we enjoyed each other's company. They followed them off the field. And I think when you win like that, it was... Um, and we, we had a, a boss at the time who, a guy called Connor O'Shea, whose mentality was always very positive and everything was positive. Even if you lost 100 nil, he would find something positive about it. Not that we did, but he would find something positive to say about it and put a different spin on it. Um, and that definitely, for a young group of guys, you just had that belief in you. You had that, you had his backing, which was great. Um, and even if you messed up, he knew that, you know what, he's going to support it. Yes, thing wrong, he would call you out on it privately, uh, but in terms of publicly and all that kind of stuff, when it probably means a bit more, he, he had his support. I've interviewed, I think, probably 23, 24 people now across the two series. Um, and we've often discussed how important the dressing room is to a, to a, to a, to a squad that often progress. Clearly, that was the, the same that season with you. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, does culture happen and then win the byproduct? Because culture happens as a byproduct of winning. Because that's the thing, people, like you said, whoever wins and whoever is successful always has a good culture. So 
but what do they get first? Are they just a because they're always winning, they're always closing out games, all this kind of stuff. Well, does that bring you closer together? Or do you make those memories off the field and because of that? Or do they kind of come hand in hand? And I'm not, I'm not sure on the answer, but to be honest. Yeah, they're definitely... I, look, I think you have a big squad of guys. We have 40, 50 guys. Um, not, of course, not everyone's going to play. Uh, and not everyone has to get on, but you have to respect each other. You mm-hmm. know that when you, you're going to put the side first uh, to get the best possible result. Um, yeah, you don't have to be having coffees and all that kind of stuff, but when you get over the white line, you, you're all in the same direction. Very well said. To top that season off, Chris, you won the Premiership Player of the Year again at the end of that season. What personal sacrifices do you have to personally make to become the best player in the league? Well, I suppose it's about working hard, you know, like, but also I think you look at that, it's, it's not just yourself, it's stuff your family has to give up on and whether it's kind of missing stuff like weddings and all that kind of stuff, but um, which takes a toll to men for sure. But I think also it's all about doing kind of the unseen stuff. Someone had to say, which I always start by, what do you do when no one's watching? Because for me, look, it's easy to train well when it's nice and warm outside, you're at England and there's five people pushing you on, you've got the best diet, you've got the best gym, all that kind of stuff. But at a moment when it's December, when it gets to January and it's dark and it's Two degrees outside, I used to ice bath and I used to need green extras because the people who get there are those guys doing it. If you've lost a couple of games, a little bit sore, I used to put the work in, in some, some capacity. So to me, that was always a big one. Chris, your international career is equally impressive with 66 England caps, 43 of those as England captain. In fact, you started all 66 games of your international caps. Um, only Rory Underwood and Will Carling and more starts without coming off the bench for England. It's it's another record you must look back on so fondly. Yeah, in all, in all honesty, I, I didn't know that. Uh, I think it's crazy. You don't really know about records and this and that until you get told by doing stuff like this or journalists and all that kind of stuff that you reach your kick. Um, because as a player, unless you're probably a try scorer, which unfortunately I wasn't, <laughs> you probably don't know where you are in the second order. But no, look, it's, it's always, no, like I said, you always want to start games. You always want to be in the thick of it from if you don't want to be if you can't do that then you want to be in the bench and yeah um, and be involved in some capacity but I love, I love playing for England captain it was an extremely proud time um, to lead the guys out at Twickenham the flamethrowers go off you sing the national anthem um, there aren't many better feelings than that and, and definitely when you stop and there aren't many players myself include that stop on their own accord uh, unfortunately uh, that's that's what you miss. It's not it's not so much of your game. It's the buzz you get from yeah. the place. In 2011, you were overlooked for the World Cup selection. Yet in January 2012, you were announced as the New England captain, despite only obtaining a single cap. I have to ask: Did did that come as a bit of a shock? And secondly, how did you celebrate, um, or did you celebrate becoming the new country's leader? Yeah, it was. Um... Yeah, like I think whenever you miss out on, on selection, I don't think it always has, isn't it? And suppose you want to be better. And that was the beginning of the season where we went and won 10 games or whatever. And then, yeah, went into camp, did pretty well with Quinns, got called up as captain of Quinns at the time, got called into the setup, went about our business, and Stuart Lancaster at the time asked to be captain. It was incredible. But yeah, we were straight into it. It was more, geez, you want to you wanna get this right and you want to put your best foot forward. So we surrounded myself with other good leaders in the, in the side, but also trying to learn from others as quickly as I could the likes of Andy Fowler who was our defence coach at the time I had captain Great Britain at a young age I was 23 I think 
24 maybe. Yeah, just trying to get as much knowledge as I could with as quickly as I could and, and kind of use it. Mm. Did you celebrate at all? Uh, you know what, I think my wife actually organised a lunch, a surprise lunch with me and my best friends looking back at it. And I was like, why the hell are we here? <laughs> and I, I got there and there was about 10 of them in there. So yeah, we were, was, we were allowed to go home in the midweek. So we just had a, a nice dinner. So that was nice, actually. We, I think we actually had a fight on the way there. Cause I was like, why the hell do you want to go here? <laughs> like, this is so out of the way and all this kind of stuff. And then we got there and all our friends were there. So that was quite nice. Oh, very nice. In, a little smoke in the background now. <laughs> in 2015, you were retained as England's captain for the Six Nations Championship and played every minute of England's campaign. You fell short of the title on the final day, needing to win by 27 points, meaning England would finish second for the fourth time in a row. How frustrating was that as a player and a captain, Chris? Yeah, very. I mean, you put in so much work and you, you can look back to all that those four years where you finish second, sometimes on point difference, sometimes on, on losing games. And that's why it's so hard to win a Grand Slam or to win a championship because I remember some games it was literally the bounce of a ball, which is affecting a... But that's the same with all sides. All sides in the back and think, you know what, if we've got like those two passages to play right, we'll be sitting here with, with a, a Grand Slam or something. And, and that's why I think the year after when we finally got it, it was so sweet. Uh, unfortunately, not as captain, but it, it didn't matter. So it was to be part of that and realising, look, it takes me five attempts to win a Grand Slam and that you always want more, don't you? You want to have one and have one. And unfortunately, I never got that. You went on tour to Australia, whitewashing the Wallabies in the three test series with you not only winning man of the match in the second test, but also claiming your 50th cap. What a milestone. And I've, I've got to ask, where, where are all these caps? You know what, and it's, a, it's a perception. I think in football, you get caps every game, don't you? You get a cap. Correct. In rugby, you only get one cap. You just get a cap at the beginning. Okay. Um, and okay. if you're 50th, you get a little silver, silver-like plaque cap. I don't know what, I don't know if you get that for your 100. You must, you must do. I don't know, maybe a gold one or something. Um, but yeah, you don't have to get them. So yeah, due to us being a bit here and there and all over the place, we are... I think it's in storage back in my mum's. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe on display. I mean, there's. I didn't have much around the house either. We had a study upstairs, and I was, we had a couple of photos and frames up there and that kind of stuff. But my fiftieth cap is one thing I had on the on the fireplace on the mantel downstairs. That was that's something I was very very proud of. Uh, and congratulations as well. What a huge um, huge testament to you, mate. It's brilliant, um, Chris. You you played your last. England test for England on the 2018 tour to South Africa in the final winning test, Chris. And did you did you realise that that was your last outing? Yeah, no, like, I didn't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if many players do ever know it's their last game, unfortunately. And everyone always says don't take for granted, and you don't. You're very privileged to play, and you work very hard to get there. Uh, but no, I I didn't. And again, it's one of those ones where. Unfortunately, injuries came to me at the wrong time and then a couple of young guys came in and played very well. And all of a sudden, you're a slightly older player. There's young guys who are playing well. And uh, unfortunately, it happens to a lot of guys. And it happened to me, unfortunately. If you had have known that was your last game, how would you have treated it differently? You know, I don't know. Because with England, you, you always try to prepare 
as well in stuff as possible anyway. So the baby's smiling at me. Mm. Uh, you always try and play as well as possible. And when you get to the, that level, the preparation is kind of immaculate. Um, and we had, we, I think we hadn't won a game in our series yet. So we wanted to finish the season well, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it was important, but I remember my last game at Quinn's where I was kind of going in, looking around at everything and you're trying to take it all in and it's almost like you're looking at stuff you've never looked at, although you've been there for 17 years. Yeah. Um, so maybe if it was a Twickenham, I maybe know that, possibly. I was playing at a stadium called, in Cape Town, I think it's called Newlands. Um, and it's a stadium which was so iconic. South Africans are so different to other stadiums in world rugby and there's so much history there. So for me, yeah, to go and play there was was great. But yeah, it was a it was a horrible day. Actually. It was it was so wet and soggy that even the tribe, the dancers who run out to do all the spear throwing and all that kind of stuff, the crowd going all fell over. It was there were puddles on the pitch and all that. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting game, but it was a good win. Chris, how do you handle the highs and lows of rugby? Because I'm mindful that we've discussed a lot of the the good stuff, but there must be a real ugly side to being a, a sports professional, particularly one that made it to right to the top. Yeah, there is, I think. And I always say international sport is a roller coaster. There are incredible highs, but there's pretty good lows as well. And it's having good people around you to support you. Uh, people who have been there and, and kind of done it. Uh, but also finding an escape to get away from it. And, yeah. and I know you hear the baby in the background, but a lot of people's kids are their escape. A lot of guys who like to take their kids to the beach, even if it's raining or something, or as a torture, but just to just to kind of get away from it all, or go to a playground, or uh, Richard McCall is he's a helicopter pilot, or both and they a lot kind of young guys just play PlayStation. It's finding something which which looks for you at the time. Me was I got a little dog, and you're taking to the park and walking and all that kind of stuff. It's it's important. Chris, after Quinn, you decided to explore a new adventure by moving to America um, by playing for San Diego Legion. How did this opportunity come about and how difficult was it to leave Quinn's after so many successful years at the club? Yeah, it was it was tough. I just it just felt like it was the right age for me to explore a different chapter. And, and while I could still explore stuff, I think if I'd waited another year, those opportunities might not be there anymore. Um, I, I mentally, I just needed to move on there. As a player and as a sportsman, you do just know. You just know when your body's probably, but in the mind, probably aren't quite willing to give what they would have given. Do you know what I mean? And mm. uh, so now it's about getting another mental freshener, which is reinvigorating me. Going somewhere else, different setups, different weather, different climate. Uh, and it's giving me a new lease of life for sure. Well, I was watching you um, through. Instagram, um, enjoying your time in America. And you're right, it's about new experiences, new memories, isn't it? I mean, um, I mean, what I was watching you do in America, there's no way that you would have done that back here in Surrey. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. And unfortunately, didn't, the rugby didn't go to plan. Unfortunately, I dislocated my shoulder twice. So I get back on the pitch as quick as I could. And unfortunately, I went again. But let these things happen in sport. Don't know, you push your body to as far as they can go. Uh, and yeah, like I said, mentally it was it was very different from living where I'd lived my whole life. And like I said, I've always been sorry, Southwest London, all that kind of stuff. And that will always be home. Um, but for me, it was about going away and having an experience. I've spoken to so many friends in the sporting world or 
normal job, so to speak. And I spoke so much about living abroad and what fun it was for a couple of years. Sure. And how different is America to England in terms of um, the standard infrastructure, professionalism, and, and also the support of the fans? Yeah, look, it, look, it, it isn't what it is here, um, but it is competitive and it is growing. Um, so look, and I think we get between three and 5,000 games, so it's not, not a bad kind of turnout. But it's probably like a, a mid-championship type of level, I think. Um, but again, it's, it's only had a professional professional setup for four years. Wow. So it's only, I think, and we've been going here, what, 27 years or whatever, and we're still tinkering with it and evolving it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it is one of those things which is growing, uh, and it will continue, I think. And how are you feeling right now? Are you fit? Yeah, yeah, the army is better. I've um, I've started kind of doing wrestling and stuff, which is the next stage of my my kind of rehab type of circuit. Uh, weights is good, so I'm starting to. Uh, in a lot of off season, I do kind of just maintenance stuff because I get. I mean, you spend a whole year doing weights and rugby specific weights and all that kind of stuff. In the off season, I just like to do kind of circuit classes, go for runs, stuff which I don't normally do. And and now probably a month out. I go back in January, I'll start to do a bit more rugby-relevant stuff um, just to try and make sure I'm ready for that when I go back. We've got 10 questions for you before we close out the first half of the pod. Are you, uh, you ready for me? Let's do it. Chris, do you have a nickname? Robbo. Robbo. Yeah, nothing to... <laughs> We've had some strange ones on the pod, so that's uh, it's nice and clean. Um, in your opinion, who is the best player you have played with at Quinn's? Uh, I played with uh, Nick Evans. He was uh, a Kiwi fly half. He, um, he came over. And normally, a lot of the Southern Hemisphere boys probably don't come over until they a little bit later on in their careers. But he came in kind of the peak of his really. He came over about 26, 27. And um, was just phenomenal. The speed of the guy, the skill level of the guy. And he, he evolved the whole club setup. He made the whole club setup better because of how good of a player he was. Your best mate in rugby? Um, bar, I'll say okay bar Quinn's guys so it's a bit different I used to always room with England with Dan Nicole uh, a prop very dry witty human being uh, we had a great time there <laughs> uh, sometimes a little bit grumpy but you know he was very, very Chris Quinn's winning the league or Grand Slam with England tough uh, I think a Grand Slam with England you know it's um, as much as I love Quinn's I think I love England more um, and I'm playing for them. But yeah, to do, I think only 13 teams have ever won a Grand Slam, um, or England Grand Slam, sorry. But yeah, it's very, very special. But very, I mean, they're very special, aren't they? <laughs> Best England player you have played with? Best England player I've played with, Owen Powell. I think it's superb. Uh, his mentality, his temperament, his, his skill level. And his nerve, his nerve more than anything else is if you want someone stepping up in a big moment, there's no one better. He's still going strong now, isn't he? He is, yeah. Unfortunately, he, he injured his ankle, I think. His knee, ankle, I think, towards the autumn. So I think he's out for a couple of months. But yeah, he's still going strong. He's, I think it's 30 years. So yeah, he's got mm. plenty of time left. And I think he's almost got 100 caps. He's, yeah, he's got a lot of life left in him once back fit. Your favourite shirt you have kept from another player? Yeah, for me, I, I love swapping shirts. When I lose, I would always try and swap shirts regardless of who we played. 
we'd always get two as well, which was quite nice. Richie McCaw. Richie McCaw for a guy I grew up watching him. And I'm sure I copied a lot of what he was to do. But yeah, for me, it was he's, he's a proper legend of the game, won two World Cups. He he won over 100 test matches. As like, it's just phenomenal. So, yeah, I'd say him. The best game you have been involved with? From a club point of view, it'd be that final. Yeah. There's only about 400 to choose from, but... You know. Yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> tough question, because they all have good moments. And, of course, when you win, it's always important. I mean, yeah, maybe that maybe that second game in Australia, the 50th cap, winning the series down there, uh, which had never been done by an England side before. Wow. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I'd say that. I'll give you two then. <laughs> if you didn't play rugby, what would you be doing? Good question. I'm still trying to work that out, to be honest. <laughs> um, as a kid, I wanted to be a fireman. But honestly, don't know. It's, it's a million-dollar question at the moment. Um, what is next? What are you trying to do? Yeah, When I, when I finally find out, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Fair enough. Let me know. Which football team do you support? I'm an Arsenal fan. And lastly, if I wasn't managing your property portfolio, who would be the better landlord, you or Camilla? I want to say me, but it'll probably be Camilla, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think she'd be a bit more on it than me. <laughs> on that note, let's come back and talk property. Talk Sport and Property Podcast, sponsored by MPH Sports Property Academy. Download the app today from the App Store or Google Play by typing in MPH Sports, the trusted go-to app for sports people looking to buy or learn about property. Chris, welcome back. Chris, you and I met uh, just before the first lockdown, I think, probably end of 2019, um, where you very kindly treated me to a, a coffee at the, the NED in London. Chris, what made you reach out back then? Yeah, look, I think I've always been looking for, for property, but I think to get involved in it, but I think I needed assistance. Um, and when someone put me in touch with yourself, it was about trying to connect with someone who would be able to help that need. And I think with sports people, we do have a little bit of time. We have a little bit of spare income. Uh, it was trying to do something that could benefit me for the future and hopefully start to work for me. And, and that was primarily the reason. It'd been something I'd been looking to do for a while, but not quite found the right fit. Sure. So I'm eager to know more about your property experience. I mean, when did you buy your your first home? And is this a property that you've kept? I bought my first home when I was 20, 23, I think, uh, in Kingston. Okay. Uh, a little two up, two down. Um, I wish I still had it, but unfortunately I don't. I, I sold it. We moved to a bigger place when we were moving in together, kind of officially, um, as our kind of family home um, in Monswell. Moved there. Uh, we still have that place here. We rented out. We're, we're not there at the moment uh, as we're kind of bouncing between two countries. Uh, but yeah, we, we still got that place. So the first two bed, two up, two down that you had bought when you were 23. You said in hindsight, I wish I'd have kept it. Did you did you need the money out of the sale to buy? Yeah. 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 Well, we were we were kind of upscaling and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So yeah. the time and place, all that kind of stuff needed to you yeah, need it at the time, unfortunately. No, I sure. looked back and I saw them sell it for <laughs> twice what I sold it to them for. <laughs> but it's again if only if only. But did anyone at the club help you at the time? You know, get a mortgage, find a solicitor, and maybe yeah. So there was a 
and again, a lot of this is kind of word of mouth, but some guy will use a mortgage guy, will go for Gary Wright, I've used a lot. Um, and he tends to look after a lot of the rugby guys, and, and he did a lot of mine. And especially for someone who doesn't know or didn't know that world at all, uh, he was very good at walking us through stuff and talking us through. And, um, yeah, I still still kind of work with him from time to time. And that's what it's about. It's that kind of connection, isn't it? And um, no, he's, he's been good at that. Good. You stayed at Quinn's your entire career up until this point. Um, did you buy any other properties? And if, sh- if so, can you sort of share them with us with what you bought? No, I didn't. No, not until, not until now, no. Okay. So look, when you and I met, we discussed a passive income strategy. And to be open to all of our listeners, um, we decided to help loan some of your money from your image rights company to a newly formed SPV, which we helped set up. Chris, can you remember that really awkward conversation that we had about your SPV directorship? And the next question is, is has Camilla forgiven me yet? Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's all it's all planning, isn't it? It's all trying to be the best way to do it and all that kind of stuff and, and sensible with it. Yeah. So to be obviously, we want this pod to be very educational for for other listeners too. Um, the only reason why we had to remove Camilla was because from your property company was that she wasn't a director of the image rights company. Therefore, the directorship needs to be aligned. And I've literally just had the same conversation with a, another very high profile um, rugby player. Funny enough. Equally wasn't as enjoyable um, and certainly doesn't get any easier. <laughs> let's let's discuss the properties that we've agreed so far. Um, I know we've got three um, that we're due to exchange on um, and we've got four that, well, in fact, your, your fourth one's hopefully completing today. Yeah, it is. Um, like I said, it was about slowly building some stuff, not trying to do it too hastily. Um, but yeah, gradually, like I said, build time for when I, do get that time to retire. Time to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a nice passive income that can kind of take care of itself on top of anything else I happen to be doing. Yeah, so we've got three more that will hopefully complete by, I'd say, by Q2 next year. Um, once they've all completed, it should give us around sort of 4800 a month, um, another 58 grand a year. Chris, I have to ask, as a, of the, as a former England captain, 400 career professional appearances um you must have met some amazing influential people why haven't you done this sooner um and again we we spoke to people about it uh, mm-hmm. but just whether it wasn't the right fit whether it wasn't timing whether i was away a lot more with england and all that kind of stuff different commitments um definitely played a, a big part of it i've now got a bit more time not as busy in terms of off-field stuff. Um, and again, it was trying to be more productive and more proactive with this stuff. Yeah, well, I can say on behalf of my team here, you've been an absolute joy to represent and work with, Chris. Honestly, I mean, there's a lot of players that we've helped. I think we've bought about 170, 180 properties so far this year for players. Wow. And, and there's um, and there's some of them are very focused and efficient with documentation and information that we require to make sure the transaction goes through smoothly. And there's others that are less so. Um, but you you genuinely have been a brilliant and Lou's very complimentary, um, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, that's why we asked you to become an ambassador for us because um, we're very passionate about your portfolio growing um, and, and we want you to be part of our journey with us. We, we, you got us at the beginning um, and 
we got you. <laughs> so um, just firstly, thank you for your support and thank you for being such a good, efficient buyer with us, you know, whether you're in America or in England, you know, you, you don't, your your actions and your your um, engagement with us doesn't change. So um, I'll probably um, thank Camilla for, probably for that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, trying <laughs> to send documents back from America is a nightmare, but that, it's, it's all been good. Um, it's good that you've now got this appetite. Um, where did your enthusiasm just suddenly come from? Uh, no, I've always been a little bit business orientated and, and have other things. I've got a couple of other side businesses and projects I'm involved with. Um, I just wanted to build things. I thought when I retire, I want to have a number of things that, that kind of tick along and do all this. Um, and we're still kind of working on that. We're still building that. Um, so that when I do get to that, that dreaded time, when you finally hang up the boots, it's, it is that time to move on. Do you mind me asking what other businesses that you have? Yeah, I've got a couple of coffee shops I'm involved with called Josie's down in the Hampshire region. I, uh, I've got a soup business called Dress to Kill, bespoke outfit, um, involved in a brewery uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's good. The, the Dress to Kill um, business looks fantastic, by the way. Um, I've seen some outfits that you've been displaying or um, have sort of done a shout out for. They look fantastic. Um, how long have you been involved with it? Probably been with them about five years or so, and then I was an ambassador for them before. Um, okay. So if you ever need some suits, let me know. Okay, I will. <laughs> I want to come back to uh, the property and the education side because I did a workshop for the RPA during the first lockdown in, eight, in April, which um, probably attracted around 50 of your colleagues and competitors. Um, many we ended up buying for. Um, where were you? <laughs> I was retired by them. I know I've <laughs> left, unfortunately. I'm not in the RPA set up anymore. <laughs> well, earlier this year, we've agreed a, um, a three-year partnership with the RPA. Um, so as part of our agreement, we will be visiting each of the 13 premiership clubs, delivering property workshops to help increase knowledge and education. In fact, I'm driving to Exeter tomorrow to do the Chiefs on um, Wednesday morning. Um, whilst we're on the subject of education in sport, have you ever experienced a property workshop at Quinn's or if not, if you had have done, would that be something you would have attended? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, to be fair, the RPA have been very good at uh, getting stuff in, uh, whether that be property, whether that be stuff like uh, LinkedIn workshops to, uh, I don't know, setting up a CV or anything like that. They are, they are pretty productive and proactive because, look, we, as players, and as rugby players, you earn well, but you don't earn enough to never do work again. And you... You do need to plan for the future. So they are quite that. So to be able to get people like yourself in, um, it's great for the guys. And hopefully you can help more players like you can myself. Oh, thank you. Um, what is education like for professional sports clubs in America and, 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 and for new, I guess, new athletes going out there to experience um, a new culture, a new environment? Yeah, it's... Like I said, the, the, the off-field stuff, and it's not at a level where it is here, just because whether that's been the money coming into it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but hopefully in time it will get like that. Because a lot of the guys over there, because it's only it's a shorter season as well, it's six months, including the pre-season, a lot of guys will have other jobs uh, post-season post and stuff. Whereas I know we'll go into stuff and do bits part-time, they'll be properly doing stuff. And, 
And they're leaving the guys when you kind of go home for your lunch, get a laptop out and do a little bit of work uh, because they know they've got a good job. And when the season finishes, they don't lose it. So they they do kind of a, a little bit of work rather we do it as part-time or uh, a third of the time that we normally do. Amazing. Um, yeah, and that's the thing over there. People are, people are hustling, people are working, people are doing everything they can to, to make it take off. And in light of your experience with us, um, what would you say to a, a younger Chris Robshaw or anyone else thinking about starting up a property company and, and building up a, a property portfolio for their, for their future? Yeah, look, I, I think with any investment, there's always a risk, but people say property is generally quite a, a, a stable investment. Look, there's going to be peaks and troughs like, like anything, and more often than not, it's going to come good. Uh, and then, look, in all honesty, it's something I wish you could have done a lot earlier. Uh, ten years earlier, maybe, and then it'll be slightly different, but better late than never. Uh, and I'm glad I'm involved. Great. Well, I'm mindful of the time. I'm also mindful you've got a lot of um, parental responsibilities this afternoon. Yeah, I can hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> I've taken over. Chris, a few things. Firstly, thank you so much for coming on and closing out Series 2. And I wish you and Camilla and the little man a wonderful Christmas. And I wish you all every success in America for 2022. Cheers, Lee. Thanks again, mate. You've been listening to Talk Sport and Property. Visit the App Store and download the MPH Sports app today or keep up with us over on Instagram.